We're thankful for your attendance here this morning. I know this is the uh, last real weekend before school gets back in session, so I imagine we have some people who are still taking advantage of that one final opportunity for vacation, but uh, we're glad that you're here, and I hope the time we spend here together will be uh, strengthening and uplifting for all of us. We've been walking for some weeks now through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been examining some of the statements that Paul makes about what he calls the more excellent way there, and trying to see how we can apply those things to our lives so that we might exhibit that type of love that God wants us to have. And I'd like for us this morning to consider what Paul says in verse number 5. Love does not insist on its own way, Paul says. That is, love doesn't demandingly seek its own self-interest. It's not stubborn. It's not self-centered. It's not selfish, in other words, which makes for a much catchier title and is easier to fit on a slide than love does not insist on its own way. That's just too long-winded. But the idea is that we clasp our hands, our, our fist here, we dig in on the ground and we say it's my way or the highway. That's the way it's going to be. I don't care what anybody else says. Paul says that attitude is antithetical to the love that we're supposed to exhibit in our lives. Scripture contains a number of examples of that sort of outlook. Maybe the primary case is of Pharaoh in the Old Testament. I'm talking here of the Pharaoh of the Exodus, and most of us know this story. God sent Moses to Pharaoh and told him to say, let my people go. But Pharaoh insisted on his own way. He was stubborn. He was selfish. He said, I'm not going to do it. And so God sent plague after plague after plague on the Egyptians. And each time, Pharaoh would throw up his hands and he'd say, all right, that's it. I give up. You can go. And it was easy to say that when, well, the Nile turned into blood, or when lice were everywhere, or grasshoppers were eating the crops, or frogs were hopping in his bed. But each and every time, once God relented and removed that plague, Pharaoh dug in again. He hardened his heart. He was stubborn. And what was the end result of that selfish attitude? in every single household in all of Egypt, died. Now that's an extreme example, obviously, but it illustrates the great danger of the attitude we're talking about. We simply don't realize just how devastating it can be. It causes us to build walls around us instead of bridges. And we end up isolated all alone in our own lonely little world. The example we really want to consider this morning is found in Luke chapter 15. This is from the parable that we normally refer to as the prodigal son, the most famous of all of the parables probably. But there are actually three stories in this parable. Now, one of the primary rules of parable interpretation is that each parable is only trying to make one point and that if you start reading too much into the different imagery here, you can get lost in the weeds. 
But this is the rare parable that actually makes more than one point. Or maybe a better way to look at it is one big point and a couple of sub-points. Because we have uh, three different characters dealt with here. And we have to remember the context. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1. This is the context of all of these parables. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, that clues us in right here, the setting, the context. The scribes and the Pharisees were stubbornly complaining about Jesus receiving sinners, having the audacity to eat with them and uh, fellowship with them in polite society. So let's think about this story. There's the part we know most of us here this morning. There's that prodigal who goes away into the far country. He asks for his inheritance and he squanders it all on riotous living until one day he comes to himself and he decides to go home. Then there's the father, sometimes causing this parable, parable, I'll get it out here in a second. This parable to be called the parable of the loving father. The one who's there waiting, watching each and every day for that son to come home. And when he sees him, he he runs out to meet him and he throws his arms around him and he welcomes him back. But then there's the third character, the one at the very end who goes almost unnoticed in our telling of this usually. That older brother, a perfect example of the results of insisting on our own way. We want to consider him together this morning. We might call this the parable of the selfish brother and see what he has to say to us about insisting on our own way. Let's begin reading in Luke 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, how does this older brother respond to that news? If we weren't familiar with this story, we would expect him to be overjoyed, right? To be thrilled. You'd think that he would hear that and he'd just drop everything and he'd say, well, all right, I'm going into the party. His brother's been away for years, more than likely at this point. They don't know what's happened to him. For all they know, he's been dead. And now he's back. But you already know his response is just the opposite of that. He was angry, and he refused to go in. Did exactly what we're talking about. He clenched his fist, he dug in, planted his feet on the ground. He insisted on his way. He was stubborn. His father came out and entreated him, verse 28 says. Some translations say he begged him to come in. The father goes out pleading with him, trying to reason with him, please, son, come in. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. 
He was lost and is found. Can you picture that older brother standing there while everybody else has gone into the party? There's music in the air. There's laughter. There's celebration. Everyone has gone into the house except for this man who stubbornly insists on his own way, refusing to go in. Because of that, he does exactly what we talked about. He builds this wall around himself. He isolates himself from his family. That's very telling as to the type of man this older brother was. I want us to take a look at him together and take a look, take a look at ourselves in light of what we see in him. And the first thing that it reveals is that this man was a selfish and ungrateful son. Instead of thanking his father for everything that he'd received, he focused on that one thing that he didn't have. Do you realize the advantages that this man had as the elder brother? In Jewish society, that meant that he would receive a double portion of the inheritance. All of the land would go to him. He had the birthright. He had his father's blessing. His father even points that out to him when he says there in verse number 31, all that is mine is yours. But right now, all that wasn't enough for him because he's obsessed with that one thing that he'd never had. The fattened calf was a prized possession for any family. It was something that was set aside and reserved for a special occasion. It was taken out of the rest of the herd, it was fed a special feed, and it was reserved for some time of celebration. And here it's being used when that prodigal returns home. So, in other words, this man is complaining because he never got USDA Prime. All he had was choice to eat every night. It's terrible, isn't it? Here's this older brother not thinking about all of those good things that he'd received in life, not counting his blessings, but angry because of one thing that he didn't have. How often are we just like that man? We're so consumed with ourselves, so consumed with our own wants, so consumed with what we don't have, and the things that we want, that we think we need, that we lose sight of all of the ways that our Father has blessed us. We could make quite a list, couldn't we? The things that we just take for granted. We were all blessed with another day of life to enjoy today. Everyone who's here had enough health to be able to get out and to assemble together this morning. We have roofs over our head, even if we'd like to have more, some of us. We have food to eat. Doesn't look like anybody out here starving to death. We have homes. We have love. We have friendship, association. We have work that we can do. This older brother could have made quite a list, too. And yet, he's only thinking about that one thing that he doesn't have. Standing outside, selfish, ungrateful, refusing to come in. 
And there are a lot of people just like that in the world and maybe even here among us this morning. His insistence on his own way reveals, secondly, that this older brother was an unloving and an un, or an unhappy, I should say, and an unfeeling man. In verse 29, he says to his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. We lose a little something here if you have a King James Version, for instance, or if you remember what it says. It says, Lo, these many years I have served thee. And that sounds very respectful and polite. It's formal. But what he actually says, as the ESV says, is, Look, look here, he says to his father. Disrespectful. And it gets even worse than that. Look here, he says. All these years I've been not just serving you. That word literally is the Greek word for acting as a slave. Look here. All these years I've slaved for you. I can't imagine anything more hurtful that this boy could have said to his father than that. They've worked together side by side for years. This is his oldest son. This is his heir. All his life has been poured into that boy. And don't you know he was proud of him? He didn't go into the far country. He didn't waste his inheritance. I can picture him in those dark moments when he was thinking about the son that left. He could point to that one and point him out to people. That's my boy. That's my son. But it only took a few bitter words to destroy that feeling forever. He thinks of himself as a slave. He thinks of his father as a taskmaster. Whenever our relationship with our Heavenly Father, God, goes wrong, then we feel that impact in every other area of our life. In the workplace, at school, in our homes, in the church. If there's a shaky relationship with God, it permeates every part of our lives. Like this man, instead of considering how good God is, instead of considering how much He's given to us, instead of rejoicing that we have His grace and His mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, instead of thinking about those everyday gifts we have of life and love and, and health and being able to think and walk and work, we sit around counting all the things that we don't have. And then pretty soon, just like this fellow, we start to think of serving him as a duty, an obligation that we have to perform. Maybe worse than that, we start to think of service to God as a burden. And we start looking around and we think, man, if only I could live like everybody else. If only I didn't have to do these things. If only I didn't have to serve God. Life would be so much better. Serving God serving others it should be a joy it should be a privilege 
It's reflecting God and His nature into the world. It's reflecting our Lord who came into this world not to be served, but to serve, to give His life even for us. When we get that wrong, and when we focus only on ourselves, it infects every other aspect of our lives. We see, third, that his behavior revealed he was unloving and unforgiving towards his brother. You probably noticed the way he says there in verse number 30, when this son of yours came. He doesn't even call him his brother. When this, your son, showed back up. There's an interesting side note here. Do you remember why the prodigal came back home? We didn't talk about that part of the story too much. But if you remember the story, it's because one day he came to himself. He had an epiphany. That light bulb went off on top of his head. And he realized that his father was probably the most generous man on the face of the earth. It's back in verse number 17. Here's the prodigal sitting in the midst of the pigsty. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So here's the older brother. All these years he's been sitting at the father's table. He's always had enough to eat. He's always had clothes, nice clothes, on his back. He's always had work to do. But he thinks his father's stingy. Then here's the prodigal in the far country from a good Jewish home and reduced to this low point of being forced to feed the pigs. And when he's there in the pig pen in the midst of the manure, slopping the hogs, and actually the hog slop is starting to look appetizing to him because he's so hungry, he comes to himself and he suddenly realizes, what am I doing? Even my father's servants have enough food to eat. It's amazing how your perspective changes things. This boy, at the lowest of lows in his life, instead of seeing a stingy father, he sees him as generous. He sees him as loving, as giving. So he comes home because he recognizes that in his father. But that older brother can't see that. Why? Because he's only concerned about himself. His love only extends to himself. It's not big enough to reach out and encompass anyone else. He has no love for his father. He has no love for his brother. He won't go in and welcome him back home. In fact, he won't even call him a brother. This son of yours, he says. I know we're all aware of this sort of selfish outlook in our world, in our society, maybe in ourselves. Do you think that this sort of stubborn, self-centered insistence on our own way, well, it's, it's a character flaw, sure, but it's relatively minor. I wouldn't even call it a sin. It's one of those things that we need to work on, we need to overcome, but in the grand scheme of things, it's no big deal. Listen to what Paul says. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. He writes, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. 
Hear what Paul says? Because you're stubborn, you don't repent. And because you don't repent, you're storing up wrath for yourself. And that wrath is ultimately going to be revealed on the day of judgment. All that because we insisted on our own way. Still think that's not a big deal? I think of King Agrippa, Acts chapter 26. Paul preaches to him this powerful sermon. And it includes a powerful invitation at the end. He says, King Agrippa knows all about these things. This, this wasn't done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa says, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Agrippa believed, at least to some extent. But he was stubborn. He insisted on his own way. And so he stored up wrath for himself. And one day, that wrath of God is going to be revealed against him. I hope that isn't the case with us this morning. I hope we won't be stubborn. I hope that we won't insist on our own way. I hope instead we'll strive to live out this more excellent way in our lives. But if you have never run to your Father this morning, I want to invite you to do just that. In light of His love, His mercy, His generosity that He's extended to you, put your faith, your trust in Jesus. Turn to God. Run to Him in repentance. Confess that Jesus is Lord and be buried in baptism and have your sins washed away. Receive all of those good blessings that come from your Father. Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a Christian. Maybe you stand in the position of that elder brother today. You've always been there. You haven't wandered away, per se. But really, your love is more for yourself than for your father. You view your service to him as a chore, a burden, rather than a joy. I'd encourage you, if that applies to you today, don't stand outside. Come in. It's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.